We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Excellent. I'm so glad to be here with everyone. You are in Plano, Texas, if you're with us in person at Redemption Church. And who knows how you found us online, but you're here at Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Fluitt, and we're kicking off a brand new sermon series in February, the Love Month. We thought we'd take a little moment and we'd learn how to love. You know, the world knows to love. The world knows it needs to love, right? Many of our hit songs are about finding somebody to love. I just... There it is, right? And uh, you you might hear songs uh, even that will tell you something like, you're nobody till somebody loves you. And then there's all kinds of other stuff. Love in an elevator. It gets weird, y'all, real real quick out there. But songs about... Don't break out singing that. We're in church, guys. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Songs about experiencing love are everywhere. Our world knows to love. The world lacks, however, I believe, the knowledge of how to love. Everyone say, how to love. love. When the boyfriend hits the girlfriend, they know that they need love, but they don't know how to Show the love. When the marriage finds infidelity among the spouses, now they know that they need to love, but there's something wrong with their how to love. When the parent abuses the children, these reoccurring actions, they scream that our society knows that they need to love, but they lack the knowledge of how to love. And that's what this whole sermon series is going to be about. I want you to make a plan right now to be here every Sunday of this month to be better in the how to love department. If you were to look to the patterns of our culture for a lesson on love, you would get really confused. Do you agree? Can I get an amen on that? When you just look at our our culture, it will get really confusing very quickly. If you want to receive a pure lesson on love, where do you think you need to look? In the Word of God. Absolutely. If you were to learn about love from the Word of God, what passage would you turn to? Think that out. Think that out. Some of you are thinking about verses. Some of you have no clue, and we aren't judging you, but we want you to point out to you that that's a pretty big subject, and you really ought to know where in your Bible you would turn to learn about love. Is that fair? If you're a Christian here today, I praise God that you call yourself Christian, but if someone were to ask you, show me about love in the Bible, would, would you call your pastor or would you pull out your Bible and show them? I want you to, to do the latter. I want you to be able to show them in your Bible about love. So where would you turn? Now, the Bible's big, y'all, right? Anybody doing their, their scripture reading this year? They're trying to get through the entire Bible. Anybody? I made it out of Genesis. I'm almost out of Exodus, guys. I'm excited. I was so thrilled to get out of Job. I'm just doing my best. That Bible is big, y'all. It's more than a book. It's how many books? 66 books. So where are those 66 books? Where In all those books, in all those chapters... In all those verses, would you turn to learn how to love? Now, I would expect somebody already thought of the love chapter. What's the love chapter in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 13. Lucky number 13. Lucky in love. 1 Corinthians 13. All right, there we go. I would expect someone to say 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 especially. Love is patient. Let's go ahead and read this together out loud. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, Always hopes, 
always perseveres. Verse 8, love never fails. All right. You can clap for that. Praise God for the love of God. This verse is often quoted where? At weddings, right? If you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard this verse. There's many people that have never darkened the, the doors of a church building for a church service, but they've been to a wedding and they've heard this verse. I'm glad they've heard this verse. I love this verse. I love that it's quoted. But over the next few weeks, let's make sure that we do more than read those words. Let us live out those words. If we live out those words, then we will be living out how to love. Now, there is a less quoted passage that is very worthy of your attention. It's our scripture memory uh, passage for this month. We're going to be taking a look at this passage for the entirety of this series. It's Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Go ahead and read this with me. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual favor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Over the next weeks, we're going to be, uh, we're going to let the passage in Romans 12 reveal to us how to love. If you want to love deeper, be here. If you want to love your spouse, your children more purely, tune in each week. Get this word in your heart. If you want the love of God to be revealed in you and through you, make up your mind right now that you're going to take on this teaching. Make this your prayer. I want you to say this out loud. Lord, teach us how to love. Can you say that? Lord, teach us how to love. We have need to be taught. We need to be taught about love. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been out of high school and college. We still need to be taught. But I would also tell you that we need to be untaught. Because the world has some lessons that we've picked up along the way that aren't true. And we need to un learn them. Here's one. The world teaches you this. Love must be sexy. Everyone say that. Love must be sexy. That's what the world teaches. The world incorrectly teaches us this, that, that being love, being loved is being beautiful, being handsome, and in really good physical shape. That's what the world will teach you though, right? Okay, good. All right. I had people argue with me. All right, good. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. But that's what, that is what the world teaches us, that love must be sexy. And because you are attractive, other people of similar attributes notice you. And then the world teaches you that love is actually hooking up. Love is being popular. Love is celebrity. Love is sexy. So our culture sews this thread into every song, every book, and every movie just about that you have seen. The world preaches from its own pulpit that love must be sexy. Lord, teach us how to love. Teach us, unteach us, and fill us with true knowledge. Lord, show us the correct way. Remind you that Romans 12, verse 9 says, love must be sincere. Start with those first words there. Love must be sincere. We're going to spend some time on this. The world teaches us that love must be sexy, but God teaches us love must be sincere. How to love? Start with sincerity. Sincere means genuine. It means without hypocrisy. It means pure, unadulterated. It means true. Does this describe your love? Is your love sincere? Here the word translated as sincere appears to be a word that was coined 
by the New Testament authors. They took a word and they, they played with this word a little bit and they made a word. We can't find this word anywhere outside of the Bible in ancient Greek literature. They took a word that existed and they stuck a negative on the word. A lot like how I er earlier added the word un to the word taught to make the word untaught. Here, the writers, when talking about sincerity, pretty much did the same thing with this word. Uh, and I'm terrible at saying these words, but hupokrinomai, it means to personate anyone, to play a part, to pretend. And then the word they came up with was anipokritos, anipokritos. It, it means to undisguise without hypocrisy. It means to be sincere. That is how we translated it. The word for hypocrite means an actor on a stage. Were you aware of this? The word hypocrite means an actor on a stage. Sincere love cannot be an act. Paul took the word for a hypocrite, an actor on the stage, and literally teaches us that we need to un-hypocrite our, our love. That, we, that our love cannot be an actor on a stage. The irony here, though, is what? That so many people get their example of love from an actor on a stage. So many people think, oh my goodness, true love is when it's pouring down rain. And I look out and there is the, the person I'm in love with and we run out in the rain and we hold each other and kiss. And until that happens, we aren't truly in love. And the truth be told, that actor and actress can't stand each other. They're like, I am never going to work with him again. They're telling all kinds of secrets about each other. It's like, oh, he has the worst breath, right? But on that, in that moment, everybody's like, oh, why can't I have a relationship like that? Meanwhile, the person they're sitting beside is giving their entire life for them. But because it's not all the pretty trappings of the notebook, right? We, we don't honor it. Oh, my gosh. What irony here that we think these actors on a stage, these hypocrites on a stage are going to teach us about what love is and how to love. Perhaps the problem in society is that we know how to act like we are in love, but we don't know how to love. There is a big difference. We only know how to rehearse our lines whenever we get the cues, but we're not really ever sincere. God teaches us that love must be sincere. Love is not a clever pickup line. Love is not a manipulation. Love is not a one-night stand. None of these actions are true. Every one of these actions have falsehood sown through them. The Greek idea of the actor on the stage incorporates masks. The actor would walk out on stage and they go, oh, there's that person. It's an actor. But then he'd like, no, I'm not that actor. I am. Puts on a mask and he becomes a character. And he'd walk around the stage as a character with that mask on. As long as he has that mask on, they realize that he's not, act he's not the actor right now. He's a different person. He and then he would every once in a while take that mask off. Put on another mask. And they go, whoa. What range? He was another mask just a moment ago. <laughs> they, they were not, they, uh, they understood that they were not truly another person. They were pretending to be another. And as long as there was a mask, they could become a brand new person at any time. That is the idea of a hypocrite. The real idea of a hypocrite is that they keep putting on mask after mask after mask, and you never really know who they are. And that's why churches can be filled with hypocrites. 
Because we put on a church that says, I love God, but then we might turn around and do something that doesn't feature a very loving Christian, doesn't feature the love of God. And it's like we go from a mass that says, I love God, I have the love of God, there's my mask, but then turn around and we're driving 75 and we're like a different mask all together. Hand gestures and everything, guys. Yeah, right? The true love that God wants us to experience is a maskless love. No masks. Not different characters. You're one and the same. Love must be sincere, honest, true, and not a mask that we can put on and take off as we choose. We've all been around a person that seemed to put on masks. We know what that's like. Perhaps you know the love of a hypocrite. Perhaps you have experienced someone who merely acts like they love you. When the setting is right, they act like they love you. But when the setting changes, maybe there's a different person setting in the setting. Maybe there's a different atmosphere. Then everything seems to change. Perhaps you have donned a mask yourself to impersonate love. This may be how the world perceives love, but it is not how to love. Can I get an amen on that? Is everybody with me on that? Lord, take off our masks. I want to tell you that sincere love repents. Sincere love will find a way to pray to God and ask forgiveness. Sincere love will ask forgiveness of others. Sincere love regrets mistakes, asks forgiveness, and then they do something crazy because it's true love. They actually change. And that's a part of repentance. That's a part of sincere love because I sincerely love you. I see where I've been wrong, and I know I need to change. Sincere love remains even when the scene changes. Sincere love has integrity and stands true even when the circumstances around ebb and flow. Sincere love will make you a better, more complete person. Sincere love will make you the hero of the story, while insincere love will make you the villain. You want to know how to love? Take off the mask and be sincere. If it is fake, it is not sincere love. Can I, can I get an agreement on that? If it's fake, it is not sincere love. So what does that mean? That means it's, it's time to not be fake. It's time to really communicate. That means if you're hurting, say, I'm hurting. If you're afraid, you say, I'm afraid. If there is something tearing you up inside, don't act like, no, everything's just perfectly fine. That's insincere. That's fake. If it's fake, it's not sincere love. And sincere love will say, no, I'm not okay. No, I do have problems, and I do need to talk, and I do need help, and I do need to change, and I am worried. That is sincere love. Now you stop. Now y'all listen because some of y'all have avoided that conversation. You've avoided that conversation. But by avoiding that conversation, you've been insincere. I'm not throwing things at you. I'm saying you are avoiding the very thing that you need. You need to find a way to sincerely have these conversations. Anybody ever have one of these sincere conversations? All right, hands down. Anybody ever be a better person after having one of these sincere conversations? Excellent. Me too. It is time to truly love and not just play the part of it. Not just do the things that society kind of makes you think that you're supposed to do. No, not, not, not trying to fulfill the status quo of what's around you. How the, how the actor acts on the TV or how the Johnsons next door treat one another. No, how you truly feel and truly love do those things. Don't just play the part. It is time to give and receive sincere love for who we 
authentically are. To give and to receive. I said it. To give and to receive. I'm telling you, you need to give sincere love. And my God, I pray for you right now all that you will all receive sincere love. You deserve to receive sincere love. You ought to. God wants you to receive sincere love. It is time to value sincere love over everything that is less than true. I'm going to say it again. It is time to value sincere love over everything that is less than true. Reminder, the world teaches you love must be sexy. But God teaches us love must be sincere. Romans 12 continues. And you may find it surprising. Let's read it together. Read out loud with me. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul teaches us how to love by teaching us what to hate. Does that seem kind of weird? Does that seem out of... So I, I don't like to even say the word hate, but right there, he's teaching you about love and he has the word hate in it. By teaching you how to love, he is teaching you what to hate. I find that really interesting. That really goes against a lot of our thoughts in this subject. Let's stick with it. You are not supposed to love everything. You think about that for a second. You are not supposed to love everything. There are actually some things you should hate. Give yourself permission to say the word hate for a moment. Say it. Hate. There are some things you're not supposed to love, but you're actually supposed to hate them. I'm sure you've heard that hate is a strong word. Anybody ever use that, that term before? Hate is a strong word. I've said that phrase before. And this is true. We as people apply the words love and hate far too casually, right? We love pizza. We hate red traffic lights, right? We must be carefully careful about how we apply love and hate because these are not casual words. Yet there is something we must hate when it comes to Scripture. Now let's get another lesson from the world. The world, Deborah, the world, not me. I'm not saying this. The world, all right. The world teaches us love must be deserving. Does that sound right? Does that sound like the world? Yeah. The world teaches us that we should love those that are deserving of love. If people are kind to you, then you should love them. If they can do beneficial things for you, then they ought to have your heart. If they are beautiful, rich, talented, popular, surely they deserve your affection. This lesson from the world gets out of hand really quickly. And here are two examples. The drug dealer just gave you free drugs. How kind is that? Normally, people have to pay for these drugs. He just gave you these drugs for free. What a sweet person this guy is, right? You know what? They might also offer me a job selling drugs illegally in dark alleys in the worst parts of Dallas. But how beneficial is that? What a job, you know, getting in on the ground floor of the drug trade cartel. I've seen Breaking Bad. <laughs> Going to rent one of those storage units. Just fill it with cash. The same drug dealer that gave me the free drugs. And gave me the, the job. You know what? They're also very popular. Wealthy and talented. How am I so fortunate to have a relationship with them? So does anyone see any warning signs here? Anyone? Uh, maybe the word drugs, right? I want to tell you something, and hopefully you'll agree. It was not out of kindness they gave you the free drugs. They want to get you addicted. They offered you a dangerous job. That will get you killed. It's not when will it get you killed. It will get you killed. 
and before your body is cold, they will have someone else in your place. And the drug dealer, they may be popular. They may have a lot of people around them. But guess what? Half of those people are looking to betray them, and the other half will be gone the moment the money or the drugs dry up. People who follow the teaching that love must be deserving might end up devoted to a drug dealer. Because someone seems deserving, you might devote yourself to someone who doesn't really love you. You agree? So that was one example. Let's flip it around and give an opposite example. My mom had the nerve to tell me that I need to turn off the video games and study. She told me she is disappointed with my attitude and she is going to make me go to church. She doesn't really care about me. I hate her. My dad, he's making me do chores around the house. He is making me fix my car, fix the car with him. He insists I get up early with him to do hard work. You know what? My dad just wants me to do all the work. I can't wait to have my own house. Because when I have my own house, I won't have to do all that work. It's just easy street, right? My parents won't let me go out tonight because it is a school night. They are so nosy, and they always ask who is going to be there and what's going on at the party. They, they, you know, they just want to control me and make sure I have no fun. I would be so much better off without them. Does anyone see any warning signs here? Now listen, your mom loves you enough to stand in the way of your undisciplined life. And she is so loving that she cares more about your future than what you think about her. Your dad is trying to instill knowledge, ability, and character in you. Your dad is showing you that what that life is, what you make of it. No one's going to give it to you, son. You've got to make it. And that it takes hard work to have a successful life. And your dad hopes that you own your own house one day. And he also wants you to be prepared to take care of that house. Your parents value you so much that they have learned how to tell you no. They want you to make good decisions. They don't want to control you. But they do want to influence you because you are their treasure. And one day, they will not hold this role in your life. And they are in a race against the clock to prepare you for the day that they will no longer be present. The world would have you believe that the opportunistic drug dealer deserves your love. And that devoted parents do not deserve your love. This is the idea of deserving love. Thankfully, God's word does not teach us love must be deserving. Instead, what does God teach us? He teaches us this. Love must be discerning. Everyone say discerning. To discern means to have good insight and judgment. Discernment can tell the difference between truth and a lie. It can shrewdly judge the correct route to take through all the mazes of life. Discernment can tell the difference between an actor's hypocritical impersonation of love and the evidence of sincere love. Everyone of every age and season of life needs a love that is discerning. The kid in junior high that is tempted to hang out with the wrong crowd needs to learn discernment. The married man or woman who is tempted by the flirtatious co-worker needs to learn discernment. You need to even discern your own thoughts and your own desires. You need to discern your own heart, your own mind, your own temptations. The inner dialogue that goes on your head, in your mind. You need some discernment when it comes to your own self. Discernment ought to be on your prayer list. Add it to your prayer list today. Discernment. Lord, give me discernment. God, 
Give it to me. And when you know it, God has already answered that prayer. Because one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is? It's discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. The chapter right before the love chapter. Lucky in love, 13. Love chapter, 1 Corinthians. All right, there it is. God's word teaches us that our love must be discerning. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Then it says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Does it say it? Yeah. We must hate what is evil and cling to what is good. It takes discernment to distinguish evil and good. What is good? What is evil? This has been an, an issue with mankind from the beginning. Adam and Eve did not understand the difference between good and evil. When they listened to the evil one, that serpent, and rejected the commands of a good God. God had given them every good thing, yet without discernment, they chose they chose to taste the one thing in the garden that was not good for them to eat. So listen, this discernment issue over what's good and what's evil, that's not a new problem. We've had this problem from the beginning. At the heart of it, it is a how to love issue. You must discern between good and evil. Let's teach a little bit. This takes some maturity. Everybody say maturity. Hebrews chapter 5 was too good not to teach you about. Hebrews 5, beginning at verse 12, it says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about Righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The truth of God's word is what the writer is talking about. God's truth. And some of the truths in your Bible are elemental truths of God's word. And these keep these God calls milk, like baby's milk. You put it in a baby's bottle because they aren't ready for solid foods. It's elemental, as in elementary. It's a low, it's, it's a beginner level. It's an entry-level truth. There are entry-level truths in your Bible, and they are like milk. Do you need them? Absolutely. Perhaps milk could be the truth that God loves you. I don't think anybody will make it to heaven and be shocked. Wait, God loves me? I don't think so. I really don't. I think knowing that elemental truth that God loves you is that milk that gives life to that little baby. It could be. Here's another example. It could be truth that the blood of Jesus saves you. And that he will forgive you of all your sins. This is entry-level stuff. You've got to know this. you got to drink a little bit of this milk. Right? Elemental truth could be that you can't earn your own salvation. But it is a gift from God. All right? Now, this is wonderful. But this verse, this passage in Hebrews 5 warns us that some people have to learn these truths over and over and over again. There is a sweet woman that's calling me all the time. I love you if you're watching this. You know exactly who you are. I absolutely love you. But every time you call me, you ask me, Chris, am I going to go to hell? Does God not love me anymore? And this is your verse right here. You are having to relearn these elemental truths when they are supposed to be learned. So now you can step upon them, not sink beneath them anymore, but stand in and say, of course I'm loved. Of course I'm on my way to heaven. Of course I'm forgiven. I love you. 
call me anytime. Yet the writer associates teaching about righteousness with solid food. It is not God's plan for you to only drink the milk of the word, but also get some solid food. And that solid food has a lot to do with righteousness. It says that this is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Wow, there's a lot there. To discern good from evil, you must become a growing, mature Christian. Well, let's just stop here. We're going to go here. I love every one of you. But you listen to me. If you're having trouble distinguishing good from evil, you're still in the elementary school of the word. You're still in some drink in the milk. And we love you. That's not that, that, nothing bad about you at all, except that there is more for you. And there are so many Christians all over the place. Don't be, you aren't shocked anymore when you find that Christians sometimes don't stand for anything. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The Christians somehow don't stand up for, for against lying or against some, some sins. They're utter sins. I mean, it's in the Bible. and it, it, it's, it's perfectly okay. It's okay. No, no, no. That, and listen, we have to be careful because you don't spank a newborn baby. You love a newborn baby. You teach the newborn baby about love. You teach the newborn baby about forgiveness. And then as they grow in that, then you teach them about righteousness. All right? And we need to discern good from evil. We must become growing, mature Christians. You must, and this is what it says, constantly use God's truth and train yourself in the teachings about righteousness. Constantly use it. Train yourself. Is this you? Do you have discernment from constantly training yourself in God's truth? The persons who claim to love God and love people, yet gossip, yet steal, refuse to forgive, maintain secret sins, they are not mature, growing Christians. Pastor Chris, are you saying they're going to hell? Of course not. I'm not, that's not this conversation at all. Everybody, listen, everybody wants to go that, make the conversation been that way. This chapter is not about that at all. That's the elementary truths. No, it's about growing as a Christian. It's about how to love. So they are lacking discernment and they are not doing as instructed in Romans chapter 12. Righteous choices that are in alignment with God's truth teach us how to love. Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Is lying evil? Yes. Is lying a great way to love someone? No. Very good. Correct responses. Is telling the truth hard? Yes. But is it good? Is it the best way to love someone? Yes. Fill that scenario with every sin issue and you will have the same conclusion. Yes. You must hate what is evil. Why? Because it's not how to love. And you must cling to what is good. Why? Because it's how to love. Now it's important to point out this. This is really important. Don't tune away and go to a cat video yet. Stay here. Look at this. It says, hate what? What is evil and not who is evil? Can you put that on the screen? I want them to see. It, it says, hate what? I wish I could put a sound effect on my voice so it go, what, 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 what? Hate what is evil and not hate who is evil. Do y'all see the difference there? Far too many of us Christians have confused what and who. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah, I'll preach on that. Yeah, absolutely. We've done it. We've done it. We are never instructed to hate people. We instructed to love people, even our enemies. Your biggest enemy, you're instructed to love them. You're instructed to pray to them, pray for them, because it's how to love. So what does this mean? It means that we are to hate the evil act, but love the evil actor. Hate the evil done, but love the evil doer. I would tell you only in Christ could this be possible. We hate murder, but we pray for the murderers and we want a better future for them. We hate stealing, but we love those lost souls who steal and we want them to find redemption. We hate addiction, but we love the addicted and we want to free them from that snare. Every sin, you put it, copy paste it in that. We hate that sin. We love that sinner. And that's good news because that means you love me. Because the guy preaching to you is a sinner who has found the love of Jesus. Is that all right to remind you of that? Thank you. We love the sinner enough to receive them into our midst. We love the sinner enough to embrace them. We love the sinner enough to separate what they have done from who they are. It is easy to love the sinner because when we look in the mirror, that's exactly who we see. It is out of love for the person that we hate evil. We discern the difference of what and who. Have you ever raised a little baby, a little child that got hurt on anything? Maybe they hurt, they touched a hot stove, right? And you might, you might kiss their hand and say, oh, I hate that that happened. Oh, I hate that old nasty stove. I hate that it did that, right? You never say, oh, you stupid little baby burning yourself. I don't love you anymore now that you've burnt. No one does that. No one except in the church. When the church is not right, we have done that very same thing. Come on, somebody. No more. Because we're learning how to love. I'm telling you, we love you. We love you and you're welcome here. Remember, God's love must be discerning. If we can discern evil from good and hate the evil and hold on to what is good, this is how to love. And God also taught us that that love must be sincere. If we can have a sincere love, a mask-free love, this is how to love. God instructs us how to love, but God does more than give us a lesson. And as I bring it to a close today, I want to tell you God demonstrates how to love. I love demonstrations a lot more than textbook reading lessons. Anybody else? That's why everybody goes to YouTube, right? Nobody wants to read the manual. We'd rather see some country bumpkin in his... In his garage going, well, here's what you got to do right there. And it's like, that's my dude. That's my guy right there. Give me a demonstration. Thank you very much. Well, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 talks about a demonstration. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us. If you read the Bible and it looks, it looks like one of those manuals that you don't understand. I was trying to fix my refrigerator the other day and I pulled out one of those, those manuals and I literally fell asleep. I just, I lost it. It's gone. If when you read the Bible, you feel that way, that it's just words on and you have trouble understanding, you're having trouble getting it. Okay, I understand that. I'm not putting you down at all. Get a load of a demonstration. I want you to picture Jesus Christ on the cross, breathing his last for you. Can you understand that? God gives us a demonstration on how to love. And it is this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Let's take what we have learned today and compare it to Jesus on the cross. Here's the first one. God said, love must be sincere. Was the love of Jesus on the cross sincere? Was Jesus putting on a show? Was he putting on a mask? Did Jesus ever put on a mask and pretend like he loved you? Only to later take off the mask when it was inconvenient to love you? No, not at all. Jesus sincerely loved the thieves hanging on the cross next to him. One of them received him. One of them did not receive him. He loved them both. Sincerely. Jesus sincerely loved his disciples who were too afraid to even appear at the crucifixion. Jesus sincerely loved Pilate, Herod, the Pharisees, and the Roman centurions who harmed him. Jesus loved the crowd that spat on him and laughed at his pain. This is how to love. It's a demonstration. Love must be sincere. Jesus loves us while we are still sinners. It would be insincere if Jesus only loved you after you repented or after you were baptized. His love is sincere and he loves you while you are sinning. It's so funny because the, the sinner will walk in here and they'll, they'll sit in the service and they'll go, wow, God, I just, God started loving me today. Because that's the first time they felt it. Listen, it may be the first time you felt it, but it was not the first time he loved you. He has loved you from the beginning of creation. He loved you even while you were sinning. He loved the Roman centurion while the man drove nails through his hands and his feet. And it's because of that love that Jesus demonstrated during all that pain and agony that after Jesus breathed his last, that Roman centurion said, surely this was the son of God. I don't know what you're going to do with this sermon today. You may come to this altar today and repent. You may surrender your heart to Jesus. You may have Jesus change the way you love and, and see your marriage and your relationships healed. You may absolutely have a miracle happen for you today in response to this word. But you might also just sit there and refuse to make a move towards God. You may refuse to repent and change your heart. You may sit there and talk to your neighbor thinking all the while that this sermon was for someone else, and I hope they got it. And it was definitely not for you. Or, maybe even worse, you could walk out of here angry. You could turn off the YouTube and say, what a stupid people, of, what a stupid group of people. They're believing that Bible, and they're just trying to control me with their preaching. I'm not going to be controlled. You may deny God. You may deny Jesus' love on the cross. You may promise to never go to another church as long as you live. That might be what you do. But I want to tell you, no matter what you do with this sermon, Jesus sincerely loves you. He loves the one who comes in here and gives their heart to the Lord. He loves the one who sits there and thinks it's for someone else. He loves the one who walks out cursing. The love of Jesus is sincere. But what about this? God also taught us that love must be discerning. So was the love of Jesus, was it about deserving? Was the love of Jesus on the cross about deserving? The Roman soldiers, the thief on the cross, his disciples, the Pharisees, none of them deserved his love. We do not deserve his love. His love is, his love is not about the deserving. Don't you dare try to deserve his love. Good luck, you'll never do it. Yet God demonstrates his love by dying for undeserving sinners. On the cross, the loving Jesus discerns something. Do you know he discerns something on the cross? Jesus in love prays, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. If you have ever felt like you don't know what you're doing, 
Jesus prayed for you on the cross. Anyone ever feel like they don't know what they're doing? Jesus, Jesus already has you covered. <laughs> Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's me. You need to know that Jesus prayed for you on the cross. On the cross, Jesus discerns between the sin and the sinner. Father, forgive them. Forgive them of what? Their sin. Because they know not what they do. On the cross, he hated what was evil. That's why he died. He died for every sin. And he held on to what is good. He was without sin. Jesus held on also to everyone who through his blood could be made good. Made holy. Made righteous. And those nail-pierced hands, hold on to me and call me good. How to love, how to love, how to love. The person you're having difficulty loving, Jesus loved them on the cross. God is demonstrating to you how to love that person. The person you have trouble loving might be yourself. Jesus loves you. He died for you. Will you pray today and ask Jesus to teach you how to love, how to love yourself? Will you come today and grab a hold of the love of Jesus? Will you come, respond to this word today in this altar and pray this prayer? Jesus, teach me. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us, and have a blessed day.